Amen. Stay standing. We're going to go right into the word. I, I am always grateful for this opportunity. I, I thank Pastor Kevin, uh, Pastor Devin for this opportunity. They are wonderful. Uh, me and my family, we love them dearly, and I'm always grateful for this opportunity. I'm humbled by it. Um, I always say this is a big stage, not just by your sight, but even um, the things that, that God has done on this stage, and for me to be able to share the word with you is an honor and a privilege. Amen? So if you would, while you're standing, go to your Bibles, to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 7. It's in the Old Testament, if you don't know. Page 866. Let's work this on my page. Praise God. Hosea chapter 7. Let's look at verse 8. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. Aliens have devoured his strength, but he does not know it. Yes, gray hairs are here, and they are on him. Yet, he does not know it. Again, yes, somebody say gray hairs are here, and they are on him. Yet, he does not know it. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this time in your word. Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Ephraim was the most powerful tribe of the northern kingdom of Israel. They were considered ones who feed on the wind. I'll let you think about that for a minute. They were considered ones who feed on the wind. Of the six kings who reigned in the northern kingdom of Israel during a 30-year span before Assyria conquered it, four of them assassinated their predecessors. The nation professed to be, the people, to be God's people. They went through all the outward motions of religion, but they were morally and spiritually bankrupt. They worshiped their own gods that they made with their own hands, and they defied themselves with adultery and violence, but yet they claim to know God. Ephraim is in a bad state. Intermarrying with Syrians, entering alliances with Gentiles, seeking help from Egypt and Assyria when they were in trouble. They joined in on superstitions of other nations. They fashioned themselves like other people, idolatry, and had impure conversations. They worshiped calves, yet they professed the name of the Lord. They were halted between two opinions, yet they were of neither. Several other gods, they served several other gods. They were religious, but had no religion, no principles, and no standards. Having a form of godliness, come on, y'all know this, but denying the power thereof. They were neither hot nor cold. They lived indifferent. Tonight's sermon, actually, it's a Bible study. Is that all right? 
It's a Bible study. We're going to talk about the title, Gray Hairs. Gray Hairs. Gray Hairs. Those that know me know that me and gray hairs have a hate-hate relationship. They hate me, and I hate them. My gray hair comes in sort of evenly on this side, but instead of continuing this downward trajectory, it decided to stop and show up over here on this side. We hate each other. As a matter of fact, I want to show y'all something. Gray hairs. Do you remember when you discovered your first gray hair? Come on, let's take a consensus. When you discovered your first gray hair, how many of y'all plucked it? Come on. That's all right. Uh, second, how many of y'all shaved your head bald? Then maybe for the guys. How many of you guys, y'all started gray hairs? And no, I'm, I'm getting rid of all of you. You shaved your hair. Not many. Okay. No guys shaved their hair. Okay. Uh, how many of y'all just grew your hair out hoping to hide the gray? Okay. Uh, how many of y'all tried the more conventional way? You just dyed it. Come on. I think most of the hands in the room would admit we just going to dye it. Come on. Come on, men. You know, just for men. Y'all know. Ladies, what is it called? Just Five? You know, L'Oreal? Clairol? Come on, Dark and Lovely? Oh, yeah, yeah. Y'all know what I'm talking about, yeah. Or you just might have tricked yourself into thinking that you look good or it makes you look more mature. How many of y'all believe that? Come on. Okay, okay. Last one, how many of y'all just didn't care? You going gray, you just don't care. Okay. So I think it's pretty evenly in the room that there's a consensus that uh, we've all, for the most part, experienced gray hairs. But let me say this. The truth of the matter is no one goes gray without knowing it. No one goes gray without notice. You know, gray typically is categorized as us getting old. Let's just be honest. Uh, church folk, we like to use the word seasoned. But the truth of the matter is we just are getting old. And there's nothing wrong with getting old. No, there you go, nothing. Gray hairs typically signify that we're just getting up in age. And I'll be honest, sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking that we are who we used to be outside of those gray hairs. I can remember one time I was coming home from work. And my son, he was a teenager, 15, 16, maybe 17 at the time. And when I pulled into the driveway, he was playing basketball. So I thought, you know, I play basketball. So I hopped out of my car, you know, dress shirt and loafers and everything. And I took the ball from him. And he began to play defense. And I just made one move. Y'all catch that? That's all I did. And when I did that, my back got warm. My stomach got a little queasy, and I thought, what is, and all I did was, and so I, I played for a little bit, but I didn't feel right. And I, I went inside and changed clothes because I had to cut my grass. Y'all forget my gray hairs. 
I had to cut grass, so I went outside and cut grass and did my yard work. By that time, the evening was gone. We ate dinner. I put my girls to bed, and I can remember laying, my, laying in my girls' bed and uh, waiting for them to go to sleep, and I couldn't get up. And I had to physically crawl to the wall and lean against the wall from my girls' room to my room. Long story short, I was in bed for four days. Couldn't move. Could not move. The most torturous part was going to the bathroom. Not being able to move. I realized then that not only did I have a few gray hairs, I was a little older. But that's not my point tonight. The prophet here in Hosea was not speaking about a physical deterioration, or he was not talking about a physical grayness, but rather a spiritual grayness. The nation was in spirit, a spiritual decline. The signs of weakness were obvious, and yet the nation did not know how grave the situation was. You remember, gray hairs on Ephraim are here, and yet they didn't know it. They was in a bad place. But, you know, the Bible shows us in a couple of, of scriptures where we've seen this before. Do y'all know Samson? You know, we won't go there, but if, for your notes, Samson, chapter 16 and verse 20, the Bible says that after he divulged the information to Delilah on where his strength lied, she cut his hair. Then she called for the lords of the Philistines, and she yelled, Samson, get up. The Philistines are upon you. He jumps up. He says, I'll do just like I've done before. I'll take them on. I will rise up. But yet he did not know that the Lord had left him. See, he thought he could do what he had always done. But because of his spiritual grayness, the Lord had departed from him. Ephraim was the same way. To be spiritually gray is to be comfortable with ambiguity, and also to live a life that is full of uncertainty. Again, spiritual grayness is to live a life full of ambiguity, which simply means it's, it is what it is. It's anything goes. That's how Ephraim was, the people of God. Stay with me, church. We're talking about people of God. They live with uncertainty. Gray. Y'all heard the term gray area? Typically what that means is neither right nor left. I know, but I don't know. Maybe will, maybe won't. It's a gray area. That's how Ephraim was, indifferent. Love God, the big G, but also love the little G gods. Samson wasn't the only one. How many of y'all know the story of Lot? Lot was gray, turned gray, and didn't even know it. If they put on the screen, I, I want y'all to look at three scriptures about Lot. If they don't have them, I'll show you. The first one was in Genesis 13, 12. There it is. Now, just to give you a little background, the, the Bible tells us Abraham and Lot were in a place of where their herdsmen were arguing. There was a lot of land, but there was a lot of herdsmen. There was a lot of prosperity between Abraham and Lot. So Abraham goes to Lot. He says, look, look, nephew. 
You go right, I go left. You go north, I'm going south. You pick, you choose. Wherever you go, I'm going to go the opposite way so that we can live in peace. We can be all right as we dwell in this prosperous land. And then you get to verse 12 of chapter 13 in Genesis. It says, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Abraham went that way. Lot said, man, look at that city. As a matter of fact, if you were to go to the next scripture in your Bible, it says that Sodom was wicked. And God hated the wicked city. But Lot says, I like what I see. See, a lot of times, greatness often starts with what you observe. What are you looking at? What are you watching? What has caught your interest? What have you haven't been able to stop just peeking into, taking a look at? Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. We like to call it in the church, we dibble and dabble a little bit. So Lot is looking, he's like, boy, that city looked good. So he pinched him. So can you imagine Lot every day he gets up, what he sees coming out of Sodom? He pitched his tent toward the wicked city. So every day he rises, imagine what his eyes beheld. So we keep going, and then we go to Genesis. We're still in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 12. And just give you a background, a war breaks out. Sodom and Gomorrah is taken. The kings are taken. The people are taken. And we see in verse 12 that, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, his nephew, who what? Dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and they departed. You see the digression. First, he's looking towards Sodom, admiring what he sees. And only one chapter later, my boy is living in Sodom. He went from reading and regarding the city to now being a resident. He's, he, he looked at the city, now he's living in the city. You know, you got to be careful. Sometimes the city life ain't for everybody. You know, I can remember, obviously, you know, history tells us if, if you were rich, you, you owned a car and you lived in the city. And you were considered poor if you had a horse and lived in the country. But you know, they switched it around now. Now the rich got horses. And now you think you got, you got a, you got a farm in it. Now you consider rich, you got land. That's what everybody wants. My wife knows, you know, we live in a, a, a neighborhood, but my wife knows my desires. I want to live in the country. I was raised in the country. Had to cut seven acres of grass. Didn't like it then, but I sure wish I could do it now. But now Sodom is living. In the place that God hates. Ain't been a chapter. But let's continue with the digression. Look at Genesis 19.1. And y'all know this story very familiar. It's about Sodom and Gomorrah be, Sodom being destroyed. And the Bible says that three angels came to Sodom at evening time. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, arose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. Let me help you. When it says Sodom sat in the gate, it means he was now a representative of the city. The Bible says, history says that to sit in the gate means that's where they did business. Lot went from observing, regarding, to becoming a resident, and now he's a representative. 
He now represents the city that God hates. Somebody say gray hair. Gray hair. I'm going to take this off so y'all listen to me. I know that was distracting some of y'all. So before you discard this message, before you whisk and say that this isn't in today's church, it's not possible for spiritual greatness to be among us, I will beg to differ. There are a lot of areas in our lives that we can consider gray, gray hairs. If you look in, in first, second Corinthians, excuse me, go to second Corinthians 13 and 5. Second Corinthians 13 and 5 says this, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you be disqualified. This is New Testament. This is Paul talking, and he's telling us, he's exhorting us, examine yourself. Where are your gray hairs? What are those gray areas? Now, I know what you're thinking, because I thought the same thing when I felt like God was just sharing his word with me. And I heard it saying, said through in prayer, maybe it was pre-service prayer. It talked about what a wonderful thing God did in this church on Sunday. Many of us got baptized moving what? Forward. I don't know about you, but me and my wife and kids, we was here till 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. We weren't going to get out of line because we were destined to move forward. And so I said, God, Sunday was so good. And you want me to talk about this? And as sure as I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, moving forward required me to go clean my house. Moving forward has now required me to check for gray hairs. It was wonderful. It was good. The water was murky. But now I'm back home in my environment, in my world, and I need to look for gray hairs. I need to look for some areas in my life that will hinder me from moving forward in the things of God. So if you get nothing else out of tonight, I believe the word is God wants us to clean house. You ready to move forward? You got to clean house. You got to hit on some gray areas, some gray hairs that need to be addressed. Amen. The apostle Paul is exhorting us. And, it's, and, we, and it said it's helpful for us to take a look in the mirror sometimes. Take an inventory as he said. Do you have gray hairs in your life? I'm not talking naturally. You know, I'll be honest, sometimes the distraction can be the physical gray. The, the, the extra pounds we may put on. The, we're a little bit slower than what we used to be. We're not as fast or as quick or we think we're a little sluggish. And a lot of times we put so much focus on the physicality of our lives that spiritually we're dying. Spiritually we are decaying. So don't just look at the physical the physicality of where you are. But where are you spiritually? What great areas do you need to address? Amen? So you may ask, what is spiritual greatness? To me, it's simple and defining one word, worldliness. You remember what I said in Hosea chapter 7? It said in verse 8, it says, Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim was mixing intertwining 
going back and forth with different peoples. Either you love God or you love the world. Amen? But it can't be both. Worldliness at its core is simply an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. Amen? It says going on in verse uh, uh, 8, it says Ephraim was half-baked, uncooked, unturned. Has anybody ever ate a non-flipped over pancake? How many of you ever cooked a pancake? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You cook a pancake, you put the batter in, on, on the eye, and you let it cook for a few minutes. And then, you know, look, look at the top, and the top is an indicator that it's ready to be flipped. If y'all don't know how to cook, when the bubbles start appearing on top of the pancake, that is an indicator that you can flip it. Okay? Am I right? Okay. So you see those bubbles? That means flip it. Ephraim didn't flip. Ephraim stayed one way. He cooked on one side and was uncooked on the other. That's Bible. The cake was unturned. Try eating a half-cooked pancake and tell me what it tastes like. It's going to be very nasty. You know, if you don't know what, what the Bible is saying here in Hosea, if you ever go back and read Hosea, it's a very interesting book. It is a book of a righteous man uh, marrying a harlot, a prostitute. God is painting a picture of this is how you do me, Ephraim. And I ain't going to get into it, but he goes on in the story where his, the wife that he married, the, the harlot, one day she ran away and jumped back into the business of harlotry. She left her husband and went back to being a prostitute. And you know what God told Hosea? Go back and buy your wife back. I'm not done talking to my people. They're uncooked. They're unturned. They're mixing themselves with the world. I'm not done. He is unbaked, or excuse me, half-baked, lack commitment. They were clothed in religion but had a heart of perversion. They had a profession but no practice. They believe or they had a belief but no behavior. Creed but no conduct. Indifferent. Now, we got to understand, we're not far from this picture sometimes in our life. You know, you got to be careful. Oftentimes, we read Scripture, and we say, mm, mm, mm. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe he went there. I can't believe Jonah didn't listen to God. I just can't believe Belial wouldn't listen to and a donkey had. I just can't believe that. But what's in your gray area? Where have you and I ignored God? Don't look at Ephraim. Don't look at the children of Israel and be like, oh, that ain't me. They'll never happen to me. But there are some gray hairs that you and I must deal with. Amen. Y'all remember two weeks ago, Pastor Chris stood up here and he talked about AI. Y'all remember that? He talked about AI, how the artificial intelligence is trying to tell us things that are inaccurate. They're not right. Now, I agree. Technology is good. Technology is, is to me, is simply an, an advancement of science to better our way of living, uh, improve production. Uh, it may impose standards that are good for our work culture. But I want to tell you, technology has also been destructive for our social culture. Technology ain't the latest and the greatest. And I'm saying this because sometimes the gray hair is technology. 
Technology says, hey, we're going to make things easier, more effective, more efficient, more exposure. But I'm going to tell you, if you're going to give me all those things, make sure it's ethical. I appreciate what you're bringing to my life, but I want it to be ethical. I want it to be right. You ever watched a movie? You ever listened to a song and it was good to that one point? And now you mad you got to cut the TV off. You mad you can't listen to that song. And I'm, I'm going to take a step further. I'm being transparent. Sometimes like, oh, well, honey, honey, oh, just, one, just one word. It's all right. Come on. It's okay. It's all right. Gray hairs. Oh, let, let it keep playing. I, I'm, sure, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure that's just all it's going to be. Gray hairs. What did Jesus say? It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Now, stay with me because we're all a work in progress. We're all striving to be more and more like Jesus. But in order to be effective in that striving, deal with them gray hairs. Technology is wonderful. And if we're all honest, everybody, maybe not everybody in this room, but I guarantee 99% of people in this room got a cell phone. 99% of us have uh, or are exposed or, or we have at our fingertips the temptation of gray hairs. Come on, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Do they do MySpace still? <laughs> I just told my age, didn't I? Yeah, I can, let me tell you this, Pastor Lamar. I can remember these young folk took MySpace and it was great, and they gave us older folk Facebook. Y'all remember that? And then somehow or another, these young folk left MySpace, and now they take over Facebook. Y'all don't know that. That's what happened, young folk. Facebook was ours. Still is. Go back to MySpace. I think they're owned by Instagram. Go ahead. Sorry. But don't allow technology to cause gray hairs to sprout. Don't allow, let me tell you something. You control it. It doesn't control you. Now, come on, I might be preaching to the choir, but I know the temptation 11 o'clock at night to pull out that phone. Knowing you got to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Make a decision to cut your TV off and go to bed. Don't allow the, the culture, the, the media culture, the, the technology to drive your life. Doing so will allow gray hairs to sprout up and you won't even know it. Deal with these gray hairs, saints. Isaiah 50 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Darkness is better than light, and light over darkness, and sweet over bitter, and bitter over sweet. Woe unto you. They call good evil and evil good. That's the society that we live in today. Look to your neighbor and says, neighbor, that's a gray hair. Worldliness makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. Did you hear what I said? Worldliness will make sin look normal and righteousness look strange. Just look around you. Something's wrong with you if you don't agree with wrong or bad or sin. What's wrong with you? Like something's wrong with you because you stand for righteousness. Something is wrong with you because you don't agree with that which is evil. That's the world you live in. 
Isaiah says, woe unto you. They call evil good and good evil. All they do is get a few famous people to endorse some of their products, and they take folks hook, line, and sinker. Did, did, did you see what he just endorsed? Come on. I, I'm going to buy me some now. I'm, I'm going to do that right now. They get a few folks. You even got some of your favorite TV preachers that bought into some of these lies. I won't say no names. But you got folks in the church leading churches with gray hairs. Exposed to worldliness. Exposed to their, their own goal, their own agenda, their own plan. They're boosting themselves up. Making it all about them. I got nothing wrong with businesses and being entrepreneurs, but you got, but again, it's a, remember what I said, worldliness is the issue of the heart, but you got some folks that want to test their name on everything that they do. Uh, make, make sure you put JoJo on it. Make sure JoJo gets the credit. I'm saying that's what JoJo might say. Make sure it's all about me. Gray hairs. Turn your Bibles to James 4.4. 4. Is this all right? James 4.4. 4. Now, I'm, I went to the New Testament because it's important for us to understand that this word is coming to our generation in our time. Amen. It says in James 4.4, 4, you adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the what? World is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a what? Friend of the world makes himself a enemy. Let me tell you something. That scripture right there has no gray. That scripture is black and white. Either you got friendship with the world and your enemy against God, you love the world, you hate God. No gray. There is no in-between. You know the scripture. You're either lukewarm, but I'd rather you be what? Hot or cold. Black or white. Straightforward. Don't be lukewarm people causes vomiting, regurgitation. I don't want any part of something lukewarm. How many of y'all like warm coffee? And let me say this. How many of y'all like warm coffee? I don't. I want my coffee what? Hot. How many of y'all like our coffee cold? Get out. Get out. Church is over for you. Get out. There is no such thing as cold coffee. That's a, that's a new, just ice? That might be a new generation thing. Hot coffee, amen? Hot or cold? Love God, hate the world, love the world, hate God. No gray. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Choose. Matter of fact, God told you. I said before you what? Life and death. Choose. But I'm going to tell you, you better choose life. You better choose life. Go to 1 John 2, 15. 1 John 2, 15. It says this. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. Say that with me. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, come on, the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is dying, passing away, and all of its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Don't love the world, saints, nor the things in the world. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not telling anybody to go throw their TV out or get rid of your cell phones. And matter of fact, let me encourage you, as a people of God, let's start using some discipline in our lives. Let us make a decision based on who we are in Christ, what we will and what we won't do. Oh, I just could help myself. Yes, you can. Greater is he that is in than he that is in the world. You can. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm asking you to pull on yourself less than I am to pull on Jesus. Because greater is he in me than he that is in the world. Don't throw your TV out. Use some discipline. Keep your cell phones. Be disciplined. Exercise authority. Pull your cell phones out. Let's do it right now. Pull your cell phone out. Everybody, come on, pull your cell phone out. Hallelujah. Let's practice. I believe in application and practice. Hold your cell phone up. Come on, now look at it. Now, cell phone, say it. Cell phone? Now, this ain't no selfie. I just seen somebody flash their camera. This, this is not a time. Thank you. Say cell phone? I control you. You don't control me. I pick you up when I want. And I'll put you down when I want. Now take that selfie. Praise God. And you mark this day as a day that you exercise authority over your technology. Praise God. Both Isaiah and Hosea wants us to examine our lives, our lifestyles, our values, our goals, our relational patterns uh, to determine whether or not they come from God's word or the world. When I talk about gray hairs... When I talk about Ephraim mixing with peoples, when I talk about us doing an inventory on ourselves, check your relationships. Check those people that you call friends. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I do believe that God placed on inside of us the spirit of evangelism. But remember when I said worldliness is an issue of the heart. Why do you hang out with them? Why do you fraternize with them? Are you doing it for the sake of salvation, entering their heart? Or are you doing it because those gray hairs are looking to be entertained? I, I can remember when I was younger, I was 18, 19, maybe 17. I can remember, uh, again, I'm telling my age, Pastor Wilmar, I had a CD, I had a 12-disc CD changer in my trunk. Y'all remember those CD changers? Y'all may not. CDs are a thing. I know y'all stream now. I had a 12-disc CD changer in my trunk. And I had a remote control that went from my trunk all the way to my middle console, and I could change the disc to where I wanted to play. I could change the song. It's just like a, it's like a radio in your hand. And I can remember I had a 12-inch CD changer, and the first six CDs in my changer was Fred Hammond, Kurt Franklin, you know, all the gospel greats. I was getting my praise on every day when I CD changer. But then the last six of my CD changer was ungodly music. I had those rappers and those artists that talked about smoking weed and talked about girls and talked about sex, talked about, talked about murder and hate. And I, I, I made it a thing to, if my Christian friends are in the car, we're going to bump some free hamming. But if my school worldly friends are in the car, we're going to listen to some Master P. 
I made a mistake one time forgetting who was in my car. And my Christian friends got in the car, and all they heard was, I got five on it. Y'all may not know that song. Very popular song back in my day. And they looking at me like, you listen to this? I said, no. But little did I know, I had gray hairs. I tried to please my worldly friends. I tried to please my gospel friends. But the truth of the matter is, I was gray. I was indifferent. I wanted to please the world, and I want to please the church folk. Don't be like that, saints. Learn from me. Don't be like that. So listen to the prophets. Examine yourself. Listen to Paul. Examine yourself. If we allow ourselves to be intertwined together with the world, we will gradually grow spiritually gray and not even know it. No one goes gray and not know it. So do an inventory. Check your heart. The next question you may have is, what is the remedy? Torrance, you talked about these gray areas. You, you've explained what the gray hairs are. What's the remedy? The remedy is return back to God. For us church folk, it means repent. Church, let's turn back to God, amen. There are countless scriptures in the Bible, even in Zechariah 1.3, Hosea 14.2, Jeremiah 12.2, Malachi. Malachi is all about the people of God returning back to him. The remedy, the cure for worldliness, the cure for gray hair, don't dye it. Don't cut it. Don't try to hide it. The remedy for spiritual grayness is return back to God. Return unto him. I said Zechariah, I said Hosea, oh yeah, that's Old Testament. But I'm going to tell you, James tells us, draw nigh unto him. And then he'll draw nigh unto you. Draw closer to him. And you best believe, here he comes. We understand he made the first move. Now it's our move to go back to him. Returning to him simply means turning back or coming to a place or condition or activity that one has experienced before. God wants his people who are away spiritually in rebellion to repent of their sins, to turn back to him, come to a place of obedience and devotion unto him. There's a story in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son. You know, it's interesting. I, I, won't, I won't be able to cover all of it, but in Luke 15, starting at verse 17, it's very important. If my worship team could come, I would really appreciate it. But in this story, it talks about, you know, you have to understand, Jesus is, has been giving parables up until this point. He's been explaining uh, how the kingdom of God operates. And, and he's talking about, and he's talking in parables to these people. And he's talking about the lost coin. He's talking about the lost sheep. Then he gets to the lost son. And if you don't know the story of the prodigal son, which in my opinion is more about the father than it is the son. But the son goes to his father and says, give me everything that's mine. I want everything that belongs. Can you imagine him going to his father and asking for his inheritance and the man isn't even dead? 
Give me everything that you have for me. I'm out of here. And the Bible says he goes and he lives a life of sin. Spends all the money that he has living frivolously. Am I saying that word right? But that's what he was doing. Living in the world. And the Bible says a family came and he's broke. He's busted. He's alone. He's dead. And he's find himself working with pigs. But it was interesting to understand that this young man had gray hairs until one day he woke up. And in verse 17 of, of chapter 15 of Luke, it says, when he came to himself. This is the first thing you and I must do when we're going to address some things in our life. We got to come to a place where we recognize something ain't right. We got to come to a place where we're no longer ignoring some of the issues in our life. Some of the hang-ups. Some, you know, if you, have a, if you have an anger issue, what is the trigger? What causes you to lash out in anger? Don't necessarily be focused on the anger, but be focused on the root of where the anger came from. It says he came to himself. He said, he said, not only did he realize something was wrong, but he began to talk to himself. I don't think we talk to ourselves enough. I think too often times we look for the pastor or the preacher or the minister or the, or the deacon or the elder or the evangelist or TV, TV evangelist or books or podcasts. We look for them to do all the talking. We'll sit in days and hope somebody give us a word and make us feel good and, and, and boost us up. Let me tell you something. You're going to have to talk to yourself. And you're going to have to say, self, get up. Self, stop. Self, no. He came to himself and he said. Now we know what he said. I'm going to go to my father's. But look at this. Keep going. He said, and go back, and it says, I will arise and go to my father. He came to himself. He said to himself, but then he put action. I'm getting up. Self, get up. Get up. It says he arose, and I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to tell my daddy, I have sinned. He recognized his wrong. Now, I know in many, many, many places and not on many, many uh, things that we, we watch for Christian television, you don't hear the word repentance a lot. He recognized he had sinned. But you know what? He's going back to his daddy. He's returning to his father. So not only do you got to come to yourself, not only do you got to say something, not only do you got to do something, but you're going to have to recognize and repent. Sin ain't always some deep, dark uh, thing that you have committed or continue to do in your life. I'm going to tell you the ultimate sin you and I could ever make is not going back to the Father. It's not saying, Daddy, I'm sorry I have sinned against you. You remember what David said? I have sinned, but I've sinned only against the Father. Out of all the people he crossed, killed, he said, Lord, I've sinned against you and you only. Y'all stand with me, stand with me, stand with me. 
Oftentimes what we want to do is we want to try to make reconciliation with ourselves. We want to be sure that at least I forgive myself and I can move on. But I want to tell you, God says, come to me. God says, return to me. This is a theme that is heard and read over and over and over again in the book of Zephaniah, in the book of Zechariah, in the book of Hosea. Jesus, excuse me, God is constantly telling his people. Deuteronomy even says it. Come back to me. Son, daughter, you got gray hairs. Come back to me. You got some things in your life that aren't right. You got some relationships that aren't healthy. Come back to me. Now everybody close your eyes with me. I want us to do what Paul says. Examine yourself. Take a moment to do inventory on your heart. Do an inventory on your mind. Do an inventory on your language. Do an inventory on your thoughts. Examine yourself. Are you walking by faith? Or are you walking by sight? Are you trusting God? Or do you trust man? Are you in disobedience? Or are you obedient unto the Father? I told you the prodigal son came to himself, said to himself, but the third thing is so important. He got up and went back home. Here's my invitation to you tonight. Come home. Come back to the Father. As a matter of fact, are there any that are willing to make an opening declaration and are willing to come down to this altar and say unto God, God, I'm coming home. Not necessarily to the altar, not necessarily to the church, not necessarily because I'm giving this call, but because you're returning to the Father. It's all about him. It isn't about who you came with tonight. It isn't about who's sitting next to you, standing next to you. It's not about that. This is about you and God. He said to himself, I'm going home. I'm going back to my father. Is that you tonight? If that's you tonight, come. Come on. Come on, sir. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. What areas in your life do you need to lay at this altar? Yeah, come on, sir. What areas do you need to set before God? What areas have you hidden that you placed in the closet hoping nobody else would see? What areas, what gray hairs are you just simply allowing to remain in your life? It's time to stop. Come home. Come home. It ain't about me. It's about you and God. Are you ready to come home?
Are you tired of the hurt? Are you tired of the disappointment? Are you tired of the shame? I think there's some people that want to come to this altar, but they have a lot of shame in their life. Let me tell you something. Don't be ashamed. Jesus died for that. Whatever that thing is that you're ashamed of, Jesus gave his life for that. All you got to do is be willing to say, I'm no longer ashamed. Listen, I did a lot of dirt in my life. I may, I'm no longer ashamed. I'm not happy about some of the things I've done, but I know I've been set free. I know I've been saved. I know I've been delivered. I know I, I serve a God that has forgiven me. If you're struggling with shame, come on down. Don't be ashamed. I, let me let you in on a secret. Everybody in this sanctuary has messed up at one point in their life. Everybody in this building has suffered from something and have done something or went somewhere that they're ashamed about. Don't be ashamed now. All I'm asking you is give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. I may be wrong, but I feel like there's more. I feel like there's more. Do you need a little help? Look to your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'll go with you if that's you. I'll go with you if that's you. Come on, get you a little support. Sometimes all we need is a little support. And say, Or oh, you might be the one to say, you know what, that's me, man. Will you go with me? He's, he's talking to me, man, but I, I, I need somebody to go with me. If that's you, say it. Come on down. Come on down. This whole altar is for you. It's not to be seen by us. It's to be seen by him. Will you come home? Are you ready to come home? Come on. I know this word, talking about sin and talking about returning home and talking about gray hairs, it may not be popular, but I believe it's necessary. I believe in the blessings of God. I believe that God wants the best for my life. I believe those things. But I also know there are some things, there are some gray hairs that are hindering me. Is there anyone else? Lift your hands. I believe God is so gracious enough, if you don't want to come to the altar, lift your hand. And God will meet you right where you are. He'll meet you right where you are. If you need prayer, lift your hands. I want to come back home to God. If that's you, lift your hand. Don't be ashamed. Come on to the Father. The wonderful thing about the prodigal son was he decided he was going home. And he had it all written out, what he was going to say to his father. He had it rememorized of what he was going to say. And the Bible says that when he was afar off, his daddy saw him coming. Listen, you step out of your seat and come to this altar, God will meet you. His dad saw him from afar off. And when the son got to his father, he began to tell his father that he was sorry and that he repented. And go read your Bible. Before he even finished what he had to say to his father, the dad hugged his neck. The dad said, go get a robe. Go get a ring. Put some sandals on his feet. My son who was lost is now found. My son who was once dead, come on, he now lives. 
The boy couldn't even get the repentance out of his mouth. And God says, my son is home. My son is alive. And we're going to have a party. If you're up this altar or if you're sitting in your seat, let me tell you something. When you return back to God, it's not a funeral. I'm going to say it again. When you return back to God, it is, if it, let me say, if it is a funeral, it's because that old man is dead. And the new man that is in Christ Jesus is alive. But when you come back to the Father, it's not a funeral. It's a celebration. My Bible says that when one comes to the Lord, angels in heaven are rejoicing. He said, I'll leave the 99 just for you. So this ain't no funeral. This ain't no pity party. This is a celebration. When the son comes home, the dad says, let's throw a party. The dad said, let's kill the fatted calf and let's have a party up in here. Come on, put your hands together. Come on, clap your hands. Come on, somebody lift their voice up unto God. Come on, I'm talking about with the voice of triumph. Lift your voice. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. The son, the daughter has come home. The son, the daughter has come home. Hallelujah. Now do this before you go. Find somebody and hug their neck as tight as you can and say, you know what? No more gray. Come on, do it now. Hug somebody and tell them, gray hairs, no more. Hallelujah. Gray, no more. In Jesus' name. Now listen, be here Sunday. Expect God to do something awesome. Expect miracles. Expect signs. Expect wonders. Come into this place with thanksgiving, ready to lift up the name of the Lord. Amen. Come on, you may leave here tonight, but take the presence of God with you. And rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. God bless you.